0: Thank you for joining us on Warrior Women Speak. I'm Judge Rosemarie Aquilina, author of Just Watch Me, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sherry Botwin, LCSW, social worker and trauma specialist, and author of Thriving After Trauma, Stories of Living and Healing. We have created this podcast for your enjoyment and so that we all can talk about our issues and learn together about how to deal with trauma and those things that spring up in our everyday life. Please join us for every episode and let us know what you want to talk about. Now for the show. Life, especially when you're a teenager, but there are some tricks to dating, first of all, warning signs of knowing when you are not in a safe relationship and what i see in front of me on the bench and i know sherry what you see in therapy is dating violence and i think many people confuse that term and so i want to actually talk about what that term means and then let's talk about how to recognize it and especially with young people we need to have these open discussions Not that we don't like the boyfriend or girlfriend, but maybe it's not a healthy choice for them and maybe how we can have those relationships. So the term dating violence means violence committed by a person who is or has been in a social relationship of a romantic or intimate nature with the victim and where the existence of such a relationship shall be determined based on a consideration of the following factors the length of the relationship, the type of the relationship, and the frequency of interaction between the persons involved in the relationship. And let me just say that it doesn't mean that you're having sex with them. It could just be a really good friendship. Not everybody who dates has sex. That is a myth. That it doesn't mean that there's not violence involved. And there's also a myth I think that people stay in those relationships because they like to be treated like that. That is an absolute myth we need to get rid of. And from what I see, people are in those relationships because they don't do not know how to get out of it. They don't know it all. And they feel that if they get out of it, that they will be harmed in some way, or perhaps they're, Harming the person who's harming them because that person's saying, If you leave me, I'll kill myself. Those kinds of things. So it's intermixed with a lot of different levels of emotion, feeling, and it's very hard to untangle dating relationships.
1: It's really hard. And I think it's hard for teenagers to recognize that they are experiencing dating violence. You know, when I think about teenagers, we were just talking about our kids before we started recording, who are teenagers. and I think sometimes we're crazy, do... <laughs> making your head spin, right? Which is what they're supposed to do. But I feel like when we look at teenagers, especially when I think of some of the teenagers I see in therapy, sometimes I sit with them and I think, Am I sitting with an adult or am I sitting with a the kid? They're in some ways they're so smart and they. They, I feel like they're, they know so much, but then when I really think about the development of their brain and the fact that they're only teenagers, there's so much that they still don't understand. And I think that intimate dating violence is something that really has just been getting attention within the last decade. So people who are our age, when we were teenagers, a lot of us might have gone through those experiences and we wouldn't have even known what to call it. So there's a lack of understanding. There's a lack of education about what it is. And there's a lack of intervention in terms of what should somebody do if they are in that situation.
0: I think categories and add them if you think I've missed one, I think there's a physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, economic abuse, and psychological abuse. And I'm sure I've missed a few, but I know those are prevalent.
1: They are prevalent. And the one that I hear about, which is very scary, I don't know which we this would fall under, but there's a lot of drug forcing or um, trying to inadvertently make the partner do things with alcohol and drugs. Sometimes they don't even know that what their partner is offering them. They don't even know actually what it is. So I don't know where that would fall, but that's a, that's actually one I'm hearing a lot about.
0: Yeah. I think that covers physical abuse. It's also a crime, um, a little deviation. I heard on the news yesterday about some bride and groom who got married and the bride and her caterer thought it would be funny to put marijuana in the food like in the lasagna in the bread in other things so many many people at the wedding got sick and now the bride is behind bars and for whatever reason she thought that was funny that could have turned deadly and that's kind of a behavior you know she thought it was for whatever reason cool or funny but that is something that could happen between friends, and then you feel sick, you can't leave, you can't drive, you're taken advantage of, uh, and it's a way to ultimately control you so that you're powerless against whatever someone wants to do with you.
1: Here's part of the problem with, with partner violence and dating violence. I think what happens is one of the partners says to the other partner, here, you should drink this, or here, you should take this, and then, people that I'm seeing in therapy will say to me, well, but I took it. He didn't force it down my throat. He didn't put a gun to my head. And I think that there's different types of abuse. And a lot of it's about coercion and manipulation. So like we talk about in other episodes, there's so much self blame when it comes to these types of behaviors that people are having to deal with. But I would like to say, and I think this is really important, just like with sexual contact, if you are consenting, you are saying, yes, if you are feeling like I am taking this drug or drinking this drink, because I feel like I don't have a choice, that is not consent. That's coercion. That's manipulation. And I think that's a big part of dating violence. There's a lot of, if you say this, if you don't do that, you should do this. There's a lot of these shoulds and have tos and some of it's just the way partners are actually communicating. It's not even always the actual act of violence. It's the way things are communicated.
0: Well, and that's really emotional abuse. It's undermining an individual's sense of self self-worth and their self-esteem and it's very abusive and it could include constant criticism diminishing one's abilities to know that there were something that they are able of doing something where when they're told well you're worthless you couldn't do this anyway take this and then maybe you'll be pleasant enough for me to be around uh you're called names um then there's also the threats. If you don't do this, I will leave. I will tell. I will harm you. I will harm your animal, your child. I mean, there's so much of this is overlapping. And I think people need to learn to really take some time out, look at their relationship, figure out if they're happy. And if they're not happy, why aren't they happy? And ask themselves questions like, is my partner jealous? Uh, If I talk to someone are they jealous if I get a raise are they jealous on the day that I'm happiest do they do something to interfere with my happiness Do they frighten or intimidate me ever because that should never happen So even once is too much Does your partner put you down in front of others or just constantly when you're alone together? Um, Were you ever held down pushed shoved Even if you think, well, that was accidental, is there a question in your mind that maybe it wasn't accidental and you've been gaslighted to believe it was accidental? Have you ever been kicked? And then they say, oh, that that was an accident. And sometimes those things happen. But sometimes they're just intentional and you're gaslighted to believe it was an accident. And then, you know, have you ever been frightened into sex, intimidated into sex? drugged into sex or anything else you didn't want to do in the moment. I mean, those are just some of the questions off the top of my head, but those are all based on stories that people have told me in front of me on the bench. Victims tell me this is what happened. And of course, often, often the defendants, the perpetrators say, well, that's not true. That's not what was going on. And they want to gaslight me. And of course it's really pretty hard to gaslight me on those things.
1: can't even imagine how somebody could possibly do that. But one of the things that is shocking to me in the last few years, I have met a few clients who are 17, 18, and they actually come from families where there's a history of divorce and loss, but there's not a history of abuse. And I think to myself, like I'm thinking of this one young woman in particular, her mom is one of the most understanding, accepting um, I love this, this mom. And when I talk to this client and I ask her what made you not like, what made stop you from talking to your mom about this? Like, this is where I get sort of flustered, even though I understand shame, I understand denial. You know, when we're talking about teens and we're talking about dating violence, there are people who have adults that they can talk to, but the fear and the shame is so strong that like with this particular client, when she finally started talking to me about it and talking to her mom about it, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking because all the mom kept saying was, why didn't you tell me or what stopped you from coming to me? So I think I want to say to people, as you're reading this list of things to watch out for, I want you to think about, who is somebody who's a trusted person in my life? So if I can't allow myself to hear what these warning signs are, believe that they're happening to me, who, is, who, who do I have in my life that I can just sort of say, do you think this is normal to experience in a relationship? Because I think that when you're with somebody that you love and that you think loves you, you can be tricked and manipulated pretty much in any way
0: Yeah. And you know what, if you can't talk to someone right now, just start making a list of things that you're uncertain about, and then you can show it to a therapist. You could show it to a trusted friend when you figure out who you can trust. Because sometimes, you know, the, the persons that are around you, they like the other person that you're with, that you're dating, that you're friends with. And so then it becomes, well, what did you do to piss them off? And so it becomes a blame shifting rather than, seeing that you need help. And of course, social media does not help if you're getting unwanted emails or letters. um, If there's any threat that's made in those, save them, turn them over to law enforcement. If someone is breaking your things or stealing them from you, or doesn't want you to go certain places that you've always gone and you suddenly feel guilty for the things that you take pleasure in, write those things down, talk to someone who's a good sounding board.
1: Watch out for your devices. When you talk about social media, I don't know if you know about this, but there's a device now that um, you can get with an Apple phone. It's a device that you can buy in the store. It's a tracker. It's not attached. It's not in the phone, but it's a device that you can place in somebody's backpack or pocketbook. And what happens sometimes in these in these types of relationships is one of the partners will put the tracker in the glove compartment or in somebody's wallet. And then, you know, I talk to people who don't even know that they've been stalked. I also see that when, and I'm thinking of this one client, when she finally was wanting to break up with this guy and telling him, I don't want to be with you anymore. She tried to do everything she could. She blocked him on all social media. She blocked him on her phone, but he still found ways to access her, which is scary because I think, you know, before we had all this technology, if there's a restraining order, or if you don't have a phone, it's harder for somebody to access and figure out where you are. But now it's almost impossible to protect your anonymity or what your location. So that's something that I think is really important to think about. I see this too often. I see especially uh, teenagers and college students, I see them being so trusting with their partners when it comes to their privacy, that when it comes time for that person, my client in this situation to say, you know what, I don't want to be with you anymore. I had one client who was trying to break up with her boyfriend. He went into the parking lot and slashed all her tires. He saw that she was at a party and he went into the parking lot while she was at this party and just ruined all of her tires.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me of a case I had, uh, it was now probably several years ago, but it just has stuck in my head. Uh, Well, a couple of them, but the one I want to mention now is it's not just dating relationships. Sometimes you need to be afraid of, um and get out of and think about but there was a boyfriend not i don't want to say boyfriend girlfriend they were best friends a boy and a girl and you know men and women contrary to all the movies we see they can be friends and they were in a college setting they had apartments near each other and they would leave their door open and had Access, kind of like Friends, you know, that show. And it was just like that. They, he would go into her place and they bring a pizza and she would stop over and grab a sweatshirt or whatever. They were just like brother and sister. Well, one day she heard him say something and it clicked in her head. I never told him that. And she couldn't sleep thinking about how did he know this piece of information? So she started calling a couple of her friends and said, do you think this is odd? Well, a male friend of hers who worked for one of the cable companies said, I I need to come over. And what he did is he went in her house and started in her apartment and started looking in closets, in the bathroom, in very key places where he knew that you could hook things up and found cameras in her bathroom, in her bedroom, in her kitchen, in every private place that she could be in her apartment. So they called law enforcement. Law enforcement traced this to the guy across the hall who she thought was like a brother to her. He had been taping her for months. And in front of me, he said, I did it, I don't know why I did it, but I didn't watch any of those tapes. Well, really? I didn't believe that. I sentenced him appropriately and we got him some help but she will never ever, ever trust or feel safe again. And she had to move from that apartment. She couldn't spend one more night in there.
1: That's what I'm thinking as you're talking about the different warning signs and you're talking about this particular case, that that was one of the first things I thought, now here's another life. Here's another person that potentially is going to be in therapy for years or decades. How do you come out of a situation like that and figure out how to trust again, especially when you don't even know that you're being violated. That is in some ways, I don't want to say it's worse because all forms of violation are not, they're terrible, but the, the idea that it was done behind her back and she didn't even know
0: And they hadn't dated. Apparently, he must have fantasized about her. And she didn't know she just thought he was the guy next door who was like her brother. And I had another one where the audacity of there was a no contact order. And there was also a criminal case in front of me. But um, this perpetrator knew that the victim, his former girlfriend would be in the courthouse. So he got there early and he watched and waited for her to go in the courtroom or in the courthouse knowing she would be in the courtroom and he would be there shortly and what he did was he put one of those things that you're talking about those trackers in her car but at that time they're not they weren't as sophisticated as they are today and it was actually like a little phone that had a tracker and so he attached it to the battery of her car she's driving then this is you know a month or so later she's driving them down the highway and it was a nice day and she had the windows open and her engine she thinks she starts hearing a phone she looks at her phone her phone's not ringing and she thinks this is coming from her engine and oh maybe it's something clinking she pulls over opens up her hood and finds a phone that's ringing that's attached to it so it must have been on silent but you know it hit a bump and it went on And I don't know who was calling, but it started ringing and she didn't know either. So she called law enforcement and that phone, that tracking device was traced to him. And then in front of me, now he has yet another case and he says, well, I'm terribly sorry, but here's how I did it. And you know, again, he wanted to keep track of her and he said it was so she, uh, he would know where she was going so he wouldn't be near her again creative excuse, but I didn't believe that either.
1: Well, you know, I think what happens is perpetrators who are doing this, they actually convince themselves when he's saying that to you in the courtroom, I think he actually believes that that's true. He's, that's part of the crazy making pathology is that when somebody is acting in such controlling and abusive ways, they find ways to justify their actions. You know, the other thing I'm thinking about is and I'm hearing more and more about this, there's a lot of intimate dating violence in lesbian couples. I see this a lot. I've been talking to somebody for a couple of years now and the things that her girlfriend has said and done to her are atrocious. So that's the other thing. This is not just males to females. This is males to males, females to females. The truth is anybody is capable Of acting in abusive ways. It's not just a male thing. So I think that becomes more of an issue because if you're dating a woman who's abusing you, my client would say to you, nobody's ever going to believe me. There's no way anybody's ever going to believe me. And a lot of times when she tells me about what happened this time or that time, she'll say to me, do you actually believe me? Do you really think that this is possible? because I think there's all this, there's gender bias when it comes to this type of abuse, and there's so much shame and disbelief that comes with it. So I don't actually know if you've had any cases.
0: I've had a lot of those. And let me me ask you, because psychologically, here's what I've wondered. It's interesting that you bring that up. and, And for many years, I've had these cases in front of me. I've been a judge now for 18 years. And I think some of the most horrifying uh, stalking domestic violence cases that I've had have been with the within the LGBTQ um, well, community. And I I have to say, yeah. my theory. Okay, my theory because I see how broken down they are in front of me. And sometimes it's it's both the police couldn't decide and they charged both. It just depends on what was going on and what I hear. Um, is not just violence, but sheer gut-wrenching sadness and pain. And it's not just from the victim, but also from the perpetrator. And I feel when I listen to the various situations, the commonality is that they thought they found someone who really understood them, believed in them, trusted them. When the whole world is sort of against them, many of them, the parents said, I don't, you know, don't come back. Uh, Friend groups changed when they came out, all of that. And so now they found someone they really depended on. And for whatever reason, that turned south. And I think it's almost more devastating because now the one person they relied on and were totally accepted by uh, that relationship has gone bad.
1: Yeah. So it's great that you're bringing up this point because oftentimes when I hear the characteristics of the perpetrator, I can hear that this is a person who comes from a family where they were abused or where they felt rejected or abandoned. And I think you're absolutely right. Usually in those situations, both people are in excruciating pain. I don't know if you remember the case from the summer, but Gabby Polito I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly, but some of the the tapes that I watched, and of course I saw some of the recordings of her, which were horrific, but when I listened to him, even though he didn't say much, I could sense this is a person who is not even a half of a whole person. He, He looked to me like somebody who was vacant and sociopathic in some ways, lacking remorse. And I think what happens is, in a dating violence relationship, what happens is the partner who is acting out is projecting some of their own shame, blame and pain from their history onto their partner. And they do it with their partner because they feel like this is the safest person in my life. And most times they are not aware of the harm that they're causing. They're not, they're not waking up in the morning saying, what can I do to abuse my girlfriend today? It's not like that. And I'm sure you, cause I know that you listen to everybody in your courtroom and you ask questions to the perpetrator, to the victims about what, tell me more about who you are and where you come from. And this is something that I see any, all of the clients that are flashing through my brain right now, cause there's many of them. When I ask them questions, tell me more about your girlfriend or tell me more about your boyfriend. I can hear there's a lot of stuff there. And I'll say to my clients, I don't know if you understand this, but some of the things that he or she is doing to you sounds to me like things that were done to your partner. And now that that person is repeating it on to you. It has nothing to do with you. You're not. I mean, they, a lot of times as partners, we feel like we're the cause of anything bad being done to us. And just the other day I was talking to this young woman and she's adorable and she's so smart. And this guy is abusing the crap out of her. And she asks me repeatedly, is this something that is normal? Is this, do you think that if, if we broke up that he would do this to the next person? I said, I absolutely do because I don't think it has anything to do with you.
0: Yeah, Uh, you know, I I feel the pain. I I I don't. People have said, you know, you're an empath. I don't call myself an empath. I can just you you see pain. You don't need to. I I just I see and feel the pain from both sides, the victim and the defendant in these cases, and it is so raw. And when I look at rehabilitation, you know, I I will have the defendant pay for the victims. co-pay for their therapy but then I will also have the perpetrator go to counseling but sometimes I include grief counseling because I find that and it doesn't have to be for a loss but I find that they're grieving uh, or for death I should say but they're grieving the loss of their family unit who they grew up with and now they've come out and now they don't want anything to do with them or their best friend or what have you. Um, And so they have to deal with that grief and loss in order to even move forward to address their healing because all they feel is these abandonment issues and they're not even ready to acknowledge that the violence is coming from there. So I, I don't know right or wrong, I send them to a couple of different kinds of therapists because they need cognitive and they need the grief, and then they need the anger management and the domestic violence. And not all therapists can do all of that. But, and I don't know right or wrong, if that's even what I'm supposed to be doing. But when I listen, it is not a one size fits all for this kind of pain when they're feeling so unaccepted, accepted, and then in the throes of, I can't trust anybody.
1: Right. So when you just said a minute ago about people will say I'm an empath. And it's not that I'm necessarily an empath. It's that I can see and feel pain in other people. Here's the thing for people like us who have awareness and people like us who've been through extraordinary traumatic events, we have the awareness and the ability to look at ourselves and see how we affect others. That's the difference between people like us who've been through stuff and people who are ending up in your courtroom or who are abusing my clients, they have, they lack the ability to be able to look at what they're doing in the moment, how they're causing harm and the impact it's gonna have on the other person because they haven't done the work that you're telling them to do. If you've been through something and it doesn't have to be something traumatic because that's such a overused strong word. But if you come from a place where you feel unaccepted or where you've been bullied or where you have abandonment issues, if you don't understand as you become a teenager and young adult and adult, if you, if you don't look at the effects that that has on you and how it shapes your personality and how you treat others, you're much more likely to go out in the world and cause a lot of harm. I can tell you before I did the work that I've done starting in my mid twenties, I look back on my childhood and my early adolescence and adolescence. And I think, gosh, there were times when the only way I could feel good about myself is by putting somebody else down. I had no idea why I was doing that. And I didn't like that. I was doing that. I went and did all this flipping work. But if I hadn't, and there's a lot of people out there that don't even know they have work that they need to do. If you don't do that work, you're just going to go out and you're going to repeat stuff. And it's, I think it's sad because then like this client that I'm talking about, the one that um, who's asking me, is this something that's normal in a relationship? She didn't have a trauma history before she started dating this guy. So sometimes what I think to myself is here's somebody that escaped a bad childhood. She grew up in a good family. She had a great college experience. She's a great job. And that makes me really mad to think about what this boyfriend is doing to her. And now I think when she finally realizes she really needs to break up with this guy, then she's gonna have to go through trauma work with me because this guy who hasn't dealt with his shit is taking it out on her. And now here's another person who has to go through recovery, and it makes it actually really makes me really mad.
0: Yeah, I with my oldest daughter, there was a friend of hers, and she wasn't really a friend; she was more of an acquaintance in high school. And she started living with her boyfriend, and you know, this was she's 20 years ago. And I said, you know, that's not really appropriate. Have her meet me in a restaurant, and I I think she needs to come live with us. I'll call her parents and say I'm moving her from her boyfriend's residence to mine and see if they're okay with that. And so that's ultimately what we did and she came and lived with me. And there were a couple of things that were really uh, tip off to me uh, that she was in more of a violent, abusive relationship and she eventually got out of it, but it took a long time and a lot of therapy and that was one of my conditions is you have to talk to a therapist to live with me. I understand if you don't wanna go live with your parents, not appropriate to live with your boyfriend And you can come live with me, but I have house rules. And the first thing that's gonna happen is therapy. And I got her parents to agree. But, you know, dating and uh, relationship violence, it has this pattern of coercive and abusive tactics. And what I found, it can be very simple. Like for her, her boyfriend always wanted her to eat, like overeat, like there were always chips and food in her bedroom. I don't allow food in the bedroom. And I would say, what is going on here? And he wouldn't let her wear makeup and he would tell her things, well, you're prettier without it. And so this teen girl who was really blossoming into a beautiful human being inside and out, he wanted her to be overweight and not make herself attractive. And it was completely abusive and controlling behavior. And she thought he just loved her for who she was and all of that, you know, uh, all natural. And in fact, it was so controlling and years later now she's grown up and she has a family of her own and she called me and she said you know i'm sorry for how i behaved with you and i realized what you were trying to do and you know you were right all along he he was abusing me but it's taken me years to realize that and a lot more counseling because eventually she did go back to her house and of course that was my goal but um i wasn't sure how the story ended but she after about a decade realized that even those small things were abusive. And she said, you know, no one talked about it at school. I didn't know. she said, I don't know how you saw it. And, I, and she said, and I never told you. And I said, I know you never told me. I just knew something was wrong and I wanted to get you help. It wasn't my place to interfere with you, what was going on with you, because that was between you and your therapist. And I'm, I was glad she finally understood it and now has, a I think, a good life and is raising some good kids. but. It was very sad to me to watch.
1: Because again, like when, when she was going through it, she was not fully grown up. Her brain wasn't fully developed. And as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, this is not stuff that we learn in school. This is not stuff that as parents, I think unless you do what we do for a living, which is obviously not the whole world, you would have no idea and that's what's scary. I think when, when you hear the word intimate dating violence, I think people immediately think of physical abuse, sexual violence. And yes, those are obviously huge, huge problems and they come up. But I think that this other part, this sort of co, or how do you say this inadvertent, subtle manipulation is so much harder to identify as abusive because there's so much in there that you would be questioning. I can totally understand why she would think he was telling me to do this because he loved me for who I was. And the thing is, she probably had to work in therapy on understanding what that meant to her.
0: Yeah. So I, you know, I think part of the conversations we have to have, isn't just about good touches and bad touches, but being able to be who you are, if you want to experiment with your hair or makeup, you know, you're perfectly capable of doing that. If you don't want to eat something, then don't eat it. Whether your mother's telling you have another bite of spaghetti or your boyfriend's saying have 10 more bags of chips. You don't want to do it. Don't do it. It's your body. It's your hair. It's your makeup choice or not choice. But we need to teach safe and healthy relationship skills in addition to saying yes and saying no and informed consent and all the things we've talked about because we need to have this emotional team building of what it means to truly be ourselves and not coerced into what someone else wants us to be.
1: Watch what you feel at the beginning. What I have learned and what I have seen is what happens in the beginning is there's a lot of love bombing. There's lots of charm. There's lots of he's the best or she's the best thing that ever happened to me. If you feel like this is too good to be true, there's a possibility that it actually is and watch what your gut tells you. I think, you know, normally what I'll see is the first two or three months are like the best months that this person could ever have. The the abusive behaviors usually don't start in the very beginning. So I think it's important to recognize that you're not going to necessarily see this stuff right away, but if it starts to show up in the relationship and you start to feel like this doesn't feel safe, this doesn't feel okay. the for the very, at the very least, just please at least tell somebody what you're experiencing. Even if you don't want to say all of what you're experiencing, if you're starting to feel like uh, something doesn't feel right, then something's probably not right.
0: Well, and you mentioned, I think a really important term. I, I hadn't heard it until the last maybe what, five or 10 years. And that's, um, love bombing, which really is excessive compliments. It's getting too many gifts. It's, um, texting, emailing, phone calling, showing up at places, um, mirroring. Like if, if I like roses, they like roses. If I like hockey, they like hockey. You become this sort of mirror image of someone. They, They just love everything about you. It's too much, too fast, too quick. And it's not real
1: it's not real, right? And it's not authentic and it's impossible. How can you feel so much love for somebody that you just started dating four weeks ago? You have to experience life and go through life's ups and downs. And I think that that's the element of dating violence that is often overlooked, that there's definitely some love bombing and I, the other word I think of is idealization. Putting, putting your partner on a pedestal. If you're feeling like you're you're being put on a pedestal, just know you're not going to be able to stay there. You want to feel like things are equal. You want to feel like. I like these things about this person. I don't like these things about this person. You want to feel like your your partner is also, as as he or she is starting to get more comfortable with you, is able to say to you, here's something that you do that bothers me or here's something that you said that made me upset. You want to watch the communication also in the relationship because I think actually the love bombing can be a form of shutting the other person down. Even though it might feel really good, there's a feeling like, well, and I I was just talking to somebody else about this last week. She's saying to me, and she's with a woman, she's saying to me, this person is, is putting me on this pedestal and it's actually making me feel like I can't, I have to be perfect. It's not a good thing. She, It's not making her feel good.
0: Well, and I have read a little bit about love bombing and I don't know if this is true or not, but they say that love bombing starts and it lasts like six to 12 weeks and yep. that, because they can't keep it up. They can't keep the gifts and the compliments and, and all of that. And then it turns really, really ugly. And, you know, I think you really have to trust your gut. And if there's gifts early in the relationship, just say, no, just say, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with that. I remember when I was 16, I was at a beach event with a bunch of girlfriends and we met some boys. No shock. You know, it's what we all do at 16 at the beach, right? But this guy came up to me and he said, do you believe in love at first sight? And wanted my number and wanted to know where I lived all these things about me and I thought to myself, I don't know you. And I was just nice because I didn't know where it was going. And I wasn't going to be mean. But I made sure I wasn't alone then at the beach. And I gave him a wrong number. And I listened to him. And he seemed like a nice guy. But it was just, do you believe in love at first sight? And I thought, no, even though it's, you know, turn on Hallmark happens all the time. I didn't know this guy. and It was just too much for me. And I was so uncomfortable. And the adult in me wonders how the 16 year old in me knew, but I knew, and maybe he was the nicest guy. I don't know, but I've always been grateful that my gut told me to walk away and be careful.
1: Well, you, you honor your gut. You listen to it. If all 16 year olds could understand that they do have intuition and that they need to listen to it, then there would be a lot less of this going on in the world. Thank goodness that guy was messing with the wrong woman. Uh, You are not the woman to be love bombing, but yeah. And unfortunately I think that people who have these types of tendencies, they somehow know who to target. They know who's lacking confidence or who's lacking worth. That's part of the whole dynamic is that perpetrators abusers, however you want to call them, they're attracting to people that they can sense will get sucked in. And that's scary. And I can tell you this um, with the people that I work with, because I work with a lot of people who are in these relationships. They don't come to see me one week and then two weeks later, break up with the guy. I There's a couple of people I'm working with now, and they've been in these relationships for almost two years and we're in, in therapy talking about it. So this is not something that people can easily identify or separate from which in and of itself that is a problem but I think that if we could all really just know that our intuition doesn't lie to us and that we're worthy of having people in our lives that that don't put us on a pedestal but accept us for who we are and want the best for us and want to understand how they affect us and those around them. That's what you wanna look for. People who have a conscience, people who are empathic, that is so important.
0: Yeah, and I think we need to really have and engage and fund and make accessible in every place. uh, Family discussions, education, uh, empowerment, conversations so that these conversations you and i aren't the only ones having them they're being had and taken seriously at the dinner table um, in the schoolyard uh, in classrooms so that people recognize teen violence that they recognize controlling behavior manipulative behavior and that they are okay saying i'm going to wear my hair how i want to you can't tell me how to dress you can't tell me who my friends are i'm going to be Who I am and we all need to applaud who we are.
1: If only we could encourage everybody to really when it comes to being in relationships that feel unsafe to be able to go to our friends, go to our families and say, this is what's happening. You tell me what you think. Do you think this sounds okay? Or do you think this sounds like red flags? I think that would be so helpful. And I think that's one of the things that I talk to all of my clients about, I'm a therapist, right? But I can't tell you what to do. And oftentimes what I do with my teenagers and my younger women, college students, is I say, what do your friends think of this guy? Or what, uh, with the one that's dating a woman, I constantly say to her, what does your friends say to you? What are your friends saying to you about this? What are your coworkers? And she takes in what they're saying. And they're all telling her, you really." should break up with this person. This does not sound good. So I think to be able to, like you said, have conversations, it's, it's a topic that needs to come up in schools. It's a topic that needs to be talked about in society. It's, it's something that requires attention.
0: Yeah. We need to have discussions about what is a healthy relationship? How to, do we recognize a healthy relationship over an unhealthy one? how do we manage our feelings where can we go if we can't talk to our parents who's our safe person who we can talk to about this if we have questions is the school counselor someone that they could talk with about this is there an aunt an uncle a neighbor the mother of a girlfriend they can talk with because sometimes you can't go to your home and there are a lot of homes sadly where there's unhealthy relationships there so it's no surprise that those unhealthy relationships end up in a teen dating situation. So we need everybody to be on the same page about, you know, this is healthy, this is unhealthy, here's what we do about it, here's how we can change behaviors, here's how we can get someone else help, here's how we can help ourselves. And without these conversations, the teen violence grows into adult violence and we also see a rise in which is a topic for another day, but teen suicide, which is just so horrifying because there is help available.
1: So out of control. So I know that we're getting ready to end today, but I wanted to let people know, um, you had sent over to me a hotline, which I thought was great. I can't remember what it's called now, but I just want people to know I put it on the notes, I think national teen something, but what I loved about the uh, message on the when you sent me the information, there's peer support available. So it sounds like it's one of those hotlines where you can do it through texting, you can do it through your phone, and there's always somebody there. And it sounds like the people that are working behind the scenes on that hotline have been through it. So if you don't have friends that you can talk to, or you you don't feel safe talking to your parents, please reach out to these resources. We put them we put all these links on the notes of every show. So I'm hoping that if you're out there and you're listening to us and you're thinking, gosh, this is something that is really happening to me, but I don't know what to do. Go to our notes and look to see what resources you can access
0: yeah whether it's a victim a defendant a friend a uh, child a neighbor I, you know i try to find resources and i know you've got a lot of them that you use and that thankfully you've listed on our podcast but what you're talking about is the national teen dating abuse helpline there you go. they do have peer advocates who are available to talk text or chat online 24 7. so if you have a child you know, they don't want to talk to you, at least give them a resource, give them an outlet. We have got to stop teen violence. We've got to intervene on dating violence and and bad relationships. So we just need to keep all doors open, listen, and be there to help, not criticize.
1: Hopefully we've helped somebody out there today. I feel like we probably did. And I think it's great that we have this conversation. It's a topic that needs more attention. It's a topic that's still misunderstood by the general public. And unfortunately, it's an experience that many people have been through. Sadly. So
0: send us your topics, your stories and keep listening. We love to hear from you and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today on Warrior Women Speak. It truly is an honor to be able to sit down with Judge Aquilina and have such meaningful conversations. Stay tuned. Each Monday, we will be releasing new episodes in the hopes that we will inspire, uplift, and instill hope. Be sure to subscribe now to at Warrior Women Speak. Until next time.